All right, everybody. Good morning. morning. How's everybody doing? Are you happy to be in the presence of the Lord, in the house of the Lord, and in the presence of the Lord with the people of God today? Amen. Amen. Well, we have a special uh, treat today. Special treat. Uh, We have a special guest speaker, and uh, I want to start by apologizing in advance for anything he might say that might offend you. And I also want to say that uh, the views of this speaker may not necessarily represent the views of. No, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No. Uh, Many of you know him. He's a powerful man of God. And you just saw he has a powerful prophetic gift, uncanny prophetic gift. I've seen him call people out and tell them their names that he had never known before. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's really amazing. This is really an amazing young man of God. And he's going to bring us a powerful word from the Lord today. So please welcome Bishop Del Augusta. I told our service in the first service that our pastor had a psychotic break and decided to let me preach. I, uh, I told him I got the text last night really late at night, and so I was up really late preparing. But um, I, I looked at my text again this morning to make sure I wasn't dreaming that he invited me. Because um, very unusual thing. Um, God is good. Okay, five of us. We're going to have to do better than that. This is a Pentecostal church. Um, so you can talk to me a little bit. God is good. Amen. And all the time. The devil is bad. And all the time. The devil is bad. <laughs> That's just good theology right there. Uh, we had a, uh, an awesome time in the first service. And uh, God moved powerfully. Um, probably because I spoke really well. Uh, and and I'm, I'm going to give you two options today. Either you can really love me or you can really... Uh, like me. Either one is fine with me. Um, but we're going to have a good time. Um, a, a lot of you uh, may not really know what I do or who I am. I'm not at service as much as I should be. Um, but I, I spend a lot of time uh, traveling um, and trying to see God do some things on the earth um, that are incredible. I think, uh, understand something, that God is not just after you. He's after the ones who are supposed to come after you. Um, And I'm going to go into that a little bit later. Uh, But one of the privileges I get to see is what God is doing on the earth around the world, whether it's through our ministry. I lead a ministry called Collide, uh, where we basically are a network of youth and young adults uh, gathering for the place of awakening. I've grown to understand that if the church doesn't get awakened, the world will never get awakened. Okay. It's going to be a tough service today. Um, I, I found out that God never judges the world first. He always judges the church first. That's, right. That's why he says judgment starts in my house. If we don't get it together in the house, if we don't get saved in here, they're not going to get saved out there. And so with our ministry, we gather the church for a time of awakening and encouragement in the body of Christ. Um, and we do all kinds of conferences. We have a ladies conference coming up uh, down in, in, in Los Angeles pretty soon because the brother's got to get married at some point. Um, and so the best way to do that is to put on a free ladies conference. Um, this is this is why it took so long for me to get behind this pulpit. Um, but God is good. God is good. Um, look at your neighbor and say it's going to be good today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter four. If you don't have it, just borrow one from a Christian. I guess you have to say, turn on your Bibles these days. <laughs> turn on your Bibles. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Now, this is all scattered all over the place this morning. because I didn't have a long time to prepare, but it's going to be good. 
just give me a little bit more in the monitors, Daniel. We'll be all right. Uh, Philip, <laughs> thank you, Daniel. <laughs> Philippians chapter four. <laughs> now it's in the way. It's all right. <laughs> Philippians chapter four, verse four. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. Philippians chapter four, verse four. Just real quick verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Turn over to Philippians chapter three. Verses 12 through 14 is what we're going to look at. And and these are going to be our two main portions of scripture, even though we're going to be riddled with scripture uh, this morning. Revelation chapter three, verse 12. If you're there, say amen. Or excuse me, did I say revelation? I meant Philippians chapter three, verse 12. I mean, you can read anywhere. It's all good. But (laughs) Philippians chapter three, verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already affected or perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren and sisteren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. It's your word that's a double-edged sword that cuts to the marrow of a man. Lord, I pray that you would do two things this morning. One, that you would anoint me to be able to minister your word effectively. But two, that you would anoint your people to be able to receive God. God, give me a good seed, but give your people a good soil. God, we pray that you would bring the increase in the, in, in the growth, Lord. God, in all this, we want you to be glorified, the devil to be terrified, and the people of God to be edified, Jesus. Lord, we need you to move by your spirit, God. God, hide me behind the cross and under the blood that I would not be seen, but the glory of your resurrection may be revelation to our hearts, God. God, there are some people in here who are hurting. God, who need a touch from you. God, you don't come to beat up. You come to lift up. So I pray an encouragement to come forth in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, shout amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, this is the day day that the Lord has made. And you better rejoice, and you better rejoice, and be glad in it. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about rejoicing. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about rejoicing because as I prayed, I had the option as an itinerant preacher just to preach a bunch of messages that you haven't heard yet because I preached them somewhere else and made them real good. Um, but as I began to pray, I, I began to seek the Lord on behalf of our church. And I really feel that God is going to begin to move us into a place of where we stop thinking so much about us. The American Christianity has become so humanistic that we can't do anything for the Lord. It's going to be that kind of service. All right. Um, The the American church has become so self-absorbed, so humanistic in our theology, and that's not bad. God came to save the lost. He came to encourage the broken. He came to make us whole. But he didn't come to keep us there. That's why it's okay to come to the Lord just as you are. It's just not okay to stay there. And the problem with us, I believe, as a... uh, i got to be careful because I don't want to... Well, whatever. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> he said, I'll rebuke you later. Uh, uh, God is moving living hope from a place of needing to be encouraged week after week after week to a place where we can now become the encourager. 
Understand the reason why God wants to deliver you is the same reason why he wanted to deliver Moses. God was not only solely invested in the personal well-being of Moses. God knew if I could deliver Moses and make the delivered a deliverer, I could have the children of Israel. The reason why God is coming after you and why you got to get your act together, get a prayer life, start fasting every now and then and read your Bible sometimes. It's not because God is just invested in you personally, but God is after the folks who are supposed to come after you. Can I give you good news? It ain't even about you. I'm going to just go for it and you got to stick with me or whatever. See, it ain't even about you. It's not about your dreams. It's not, Oh, can I give you good news? It's not even about your purpose. Uh-oh. See, we have bad theology. We think God is actually invested in our purpose. Can I tell you something? You were called according to his purpose. Oh, we missed that part of the Bible. See, that's why we get so messed up. Because we make our faith and our Christianity everything about us. And and it's getting worse to the point that our worship songs are about us. We're the greatest generation that's ever lived. We're going to edit. What? We don't even, we don't know. We think persecution is somebody talking about our Christian t-shirt at work. Oh, but we're the greatest generation. God loves us the most. and, And there's nothing wrong with that. Your theology cannot stay there. God does not have a singular focus. As much as he loves you, as much as you're his favorite one, he wants more than you. He didn't die just for Dell. He died for the world. I told told the service earlier today, I said me and God's relationship is kind of like a pinky in the brain kind of relationship. We just wake up every morning trying to figure out what we're going to do today. The same thing we do every day. Try to take over the world. God is after global domination. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God, I know that's hard for us to believe, and that's why our Christianity is so cute and we're, we're not aggressive, but we serve a God of war. Amen. That's uh, right. Okay. Okay, don't say amen. Move on. Okay. I, I love the book of the Philippians, uh, the book of Philippians, because Philippians is a little different. Out of the four Pauline epistles that were written, written from jail, the, the, the book of Philippians is the most encouraging. He doesn't have too much to rebuke them on. And then as I started doing research, I had to laugh because Paul was really a preacher. Paul encourages the church of Philippi. But then as I do research, I found out I know why Paul was so encouraging. Paul loved the church of Philippi because they gave him a lot of money. Paul loved the church of Philippi. I mean, he blessed them because they blessed him. And, and it began to hit me, and, and I pushed past the carnality of that thought into the spiritual revelation. And I realized that the only thing Jesus said, you can't worship me and something else, is money. Amen. That's right. See, God knew that if I could get your money, I could have your heart. That's right, see, the reason you don't see as much rebuke in the church of Philippi is because the Philip, Philip, Philippians, I almost said Filipinos. <laughs> The reason you don't see the rebuke is I believe, personally, we can debate this, but but I believe the church of Philippi did not have as much to work on as the other churches because their heart wasn't associated so much with their finances. If you ever want the anointing to slip out of a room, take an offering. Because you can, you can talk about the God that I serve on Sunday morning, 9 a.m. and 11.15, but don't start talking about the God that I serve Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. That's right, baby. I'm just not going to that church anymore because, you know, the pastor didn't say hi to me, even though there's 5,000 members in the church. He didn't look at me and say hi to me. And, and, and you go to your job every day. Don't even feel like it. Can't stand your boss. 
don't like your coworkers, trying to be saved and holding on by a limb. Oh, I'm not talking about you? Okay. Y'all giving me that look like, like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Had somebody come to me and say, uh, Pastor Dell, the reason I don't go to church is because there's too many hypocrites in the church. I said, well, there's room for one more. Well, everybody in there is messed up and screwed up. Like, just everybody at your job is perfect. Okay. I'm going to get to my notes in a minute. So, so Paul writes to the church of Philippi, and, the, and, and the, the, the stuff he tells them is incredibly encouraging. He says stuff like, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Greater is he that's in you, that's in the world. He, he, he makes all this up. No, but here's what you got to understand. As he writes to the Philippians to encourage them to rejoice in the midst of tribulation, Paul is no novice to trials and tribulation. That's right. But I'm, I'm not talking about he was a couple days late on his rent, and he was just going through and making it and worshiping in spite of. No way. I, I'm not talking about a car payment he couldn't afford. Or, or a kid that's out on the street. That, and, and those, I'm not to, 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 to lessen the weight because we don't judge people's tragedy at where they're at. But I'm saying Paul went through. Amen, he went through. Shipwrecked three times. Yes. Flogged five times. Mm. Was stoned. Mm. Now, I told the first service, I'm not that saved. <laughs> I mean, you could throw one stone at me. <laughs> but you have two flying right back at you. <laughs> Thank, uh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Three times he was beaten with a rod. Five times he's beaten at the hands of the Jews. And each time he's beaten, he's getting 39 lashes. Uh, I just can't come to church today because I'm tired. I'm just, I'm just real. My mom, she uh, went to Indonesia and, uh, and we were in Indonesia, and when she went there, she started meeting these Muslims who had really been persecuted by the Lord. And she met this lady whose face was half blown off. One of her limbs was gone, and, and she, we started asking her a testimony. And she said, well, I was in an underground meeting. And when I went to an underground meeting, the cops came in, and, and they shot everybody. They killed everybody. She said, I was the last one left. So I began to cry out in her language. She started saying, uh, Lord, Lord, save me for the sake of my children and the sake of my family. Save me. And so the cops pulled her up and said, surely... Your God is real because he's going to answer your prayers today. He said, we're not going to kill you, but we're going to blow half your face off so nobody ever wants to look at you again. We're in this conference, this underground conference, and she's sharing this testimony. Now, we got to go back to church. And back then, we, we grew up in a typically black church, and, and we were doing altar ministry, and we came down to the altar after hearing a testimony like this where she said to us, it's okay that my face is blown off because when I get to heaven, Jesus is going to find it beautiful. Hallelujah. Now, we're listening to that, and then we get back home to church, and, and, and we got to pray for people. And people, um, and you know, you got to try to be nice. <laughs> I know you don't know what that means because you've never had to pastor you. <laughs> but it's not that easy. I was a pastor for a couple of years until the Lord delivered me. Uh, and then I decided to come here and give somebody else trouble. And, and, and we had to come back after hearing that testimony and people coming up weeping, crying, saying, Pastor, can you pray for me? Because I'm really struggling. I'm saying, what are you struggling with? And they're saying, well, you know, they repossess my car. You, you're talking about the one God never told you you could afford? <laughs> I mean, they're trying to evict us out of the house. The five-bedroom you have that God never told you to buy because you're trying to impress people. BMW and you're living in the ghetto. Friend, you don't need more faith. You need a job. But there's such a disparity in the house because our faith is so connected with our money. That's why if you want a big crowd, preach money. Oh, I can get big crowds. You know how I do it? Ah. 
If you pray and you sow a seed, God will return to you 50, 60, 80,000 fold. And you'll get your heart. I'll have people shouting. But preach, die to yourself and go to a prayer meeting. Yeah, that's the kind of effect you get right there. Just see, see, here's my tactic. I make you smile, then I punch you in your face. It's like, it's like, that's why our prayer meetings are so much smaller than our conferences. Can I tell you the truth? Can I tell you the real truth? See, the problem with us as Americans is that we don't really love the Lord. We love everything about him. See, even with worship, this generation has become so fascinated with worship. And, and I got to step back as an intercessor and a prophetic person and look back and say, God, what are you doing? And the Lord showed me. He said, you know why your generation loves worship so much? I said, why, Lord? He said, because your generation is full of demons. I said, what do you mean, God? He said, your generation is like Saul. And the reason they love David's playing is because the demons calm when he plays. And so it's not that we really love worship because we love the God of worship, but it calms us. It makes us feel good. That's why we'll lift our hands and worship and jump and dance all around. But when it's time to take sermon notes, we ain't even got no paper. Okay. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. It's going to get better. See, the irony in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, is that he tells the church, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say to you, rejoice, in spite of the fact that Paul is not a novice to tribulation and trial. At this very moment, Paul is writing to the Philippians at the end of his jail term in Rome. See, Paul understood what it took for him to be able to keep and maintain his joy in the, in, in, in the midst of trials and tribulation. And I believe the reason Paul was able to do that was because he knew the difference between truth and fact. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. you got the facts, you got the facts. but I know the truth. See, you've got to understand the difference between fact and truth if you're really going to understand faith. Because some of us don't have faith, we just have lies. Oh, I'm just walking by faith. No, you're lying to yourself. You're just in deception. See, God wants us to get to a place where we can acknowledge the fact, but accept and believe the truth. Amen. See, what's the difference between fact and truth? Fact is circumstantial. Truth is concrete. Amen. Fact is changeable. Truth is everlasting. Fact takes us from a place of information. Catch this. Truth takes you from a place of revelation. Amen. Fact is, I am a grossly overweight. You don't really know how to respond to that, do you? Somebody in the earlier service said, bless him, Lord. Reach forth and say, bless him, Lord. The fact is, I am grossly overweight. But by the grace of God and only the grace of God, a couple hours in the gym every week and a couple less meals, the facts can change. But the truth is that I am a man of God and that never changes. Still don't get it. Fact is, that you're going through financial, tor- financial turmoil. Yeah. But the truth is that you're a lender to nations and not a borrower. Yes, oh. Fact is, you feel second place. Mm, the truth is, you're the head and you're not the tail. Oh, I'm about to preach in just a minute. The fact is, you feel like you're going through and you have all kinds of lust issues. But the truth is that you're a holy generation, a peculiar people. You're the righteousness of Christ Jesus. I came to tell somebody, if you'll get out of living in the place of factual information to living in truthful revelation, you wouldn't have a problem maintaining your joy. 
let me, can I dive into this just a little bit more? Now, Jesus talks to us in John chapter 8 as he's teaching the Israelites, and, or t- he's teaching the Jews, and he tells the Jews, he says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, my whole life, my theology on this has been based on God was telling me, I shall know the scripture and have intellectual knowledge and information, and that shall set me free. But I've come to find out that information doesn't bring transformation. That's I, am a, I do not need another piece of advice on how to lose weight. I can I tell you better than you can tell me how to lose weight. I, you can't tell right now, but uh, at one point I had lost a hundred something pounds. And then my grandmother said, you did a better job of finding that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and see, I know that I need to eat less. I know some people are getting convicted right now. Um, I know that I need to go to the gym more. But my ability to have information doesn't give me transformation. So maybe Jesus isn't saying that we shall know the information and the information shall set us free. He's saying that we shall know truth. I'm going to take it a step forward. Jesus presses on in a couple more verses and he talks to them about slavery to sin. Because check this out. The children of Israel are, are full. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And this is how the Israelites respond or the Jews respond. They say, listen, we are the children of Abraham. What are you to give us the right to be free? We have never been enslaved. Now, I've got a problem with this. Anybody who grew up in, children, in children's church knows that this is a lie. Not only had the children of Israel been enslaved by somebody, they had been enslaved by everybody. At the moment they were telling Jesus that we're not slaves, they were in captivity at that very moment. But that's some of us in denial. Except for in the new charismatic church, we call it faith. Messed you up. You were with me for a minute, weren't you? I'm just living my faith. No, you're living in a lie. See, God doesn't want you to deny the facts. He wants you to acknowledge the facts. He just doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to be able to accept the truth. So then if I know, understand what facts is, what is truth, Jesus? He comes to the place where he tells them in response to their thing about, you know, we're the sons of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. He tells the children of Israel, he says, listen, you're slaves to sin. But I'm the son. I'm the master of the house. Check this out. Because the master always has the right to set free. That's why you should never downplay praise and worship. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And if you want to get the spirit of the Lord somewhere, he said he inhabits the praises of his people. So if you want freedom, that tells me you need the spirit. But if you want spirit, you need praise. Maybe that's why in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and praising and singing hymns unto the Lord. And immediately their bonds were loose. And am I preaching? Because y'all don't look like I'm preaching. I'm a hooping just a little bit. And the foundations of the earth began to shake. Their freedom was in their ability to praise. And so the children of Israel are hearing Jesus talk. And Jesus says, not only are you slaves, but I'm son. I am the master. I have the ability to set you free. That's why he says, he whom the son sets free. See, they knew in Roman culture that if I was a slave, I had no right. I couldn't set myself free. It's not by self-help motivation that you get free. That's right. It's only by the truth of Jesus Christ. He says, I am the son and who the son sets free is free. Here's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, listen, what you need to set you free is to know the truth because the truth will set you free. But you want to know what the truth is? It's not information. The truth is not a thought. It's a person and it's me. Oh, I'm preaching real good this morning. 
He says, if you got to know truth, because the truth will set you free. The truth you need to know is not information. It's a revelation of me. This is why in Mark chapter 4, the disciples, can I talk to you about the Bible this morning? This is why in Mark chapter 4, the disciples are amidst the waves and, and they feel like they're about to die. And Jesus is sleeping. Have you ever felt like Jesus was sleeping during your test? Now, in my couple of years of Bible college, they gave me the most idi- idiotic uh, 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 interpretation of the scripture. You know, theologian get up there and say, you know, Jesus was sleeping because Jesus was 100% God. And he was 100% man. Mm-hmm. He said, Jesus was sleeping because he was tired. <laughs> we know that. Slap you myself. You're, you're telling me that the God who never sleeps nor slumber mm, is tired. Okay. I said, okay, now these fishermen are professional. Can you think with me? Can I use your brain for a minute? Now, these fishermen are professional fishermen, they're not novice. I've been on a boat, and, uh, you know, we don't swim that well. <laughs> so I had to say that so the people on the podcast don't hear it. Less emails. Uh, and so I'm on the boat in China, and I'm going from one place to the other, and I'm a hard sleeper. Listen, I snore when I'm awake. <laughs> so I'm sleeping, and I'm snoring, and then all of a sudden, I get waking up. And I mean, we're not even going that hard. But I mean, the waves are crashing a little bit, but we're not even in a storm. And it felt like shaky. Now, these professional fishermen were not in that kind of situation. They had wavered through storms before. This storm was special. This storm was, we go die. (laughs) Listen, where's Jesus? Get him. Tell him to do the hocus pocus magic thing that he always does. See, this is why I should never be with Jesus on a boat. Every time we get on a boat, there's always some trouble. Him in water. Either he's walking on the water or he's not walking on the water. Either one day he's teaching. Just all kinds of, why we get on the boat, man? And so somebody go get Jesus. And Peter said, I'll go get Jesus. Go wake him up. And he wakes him up. And Jesus comes out. He doesn't even talk to them. He just looks at the waves and waves and says, shalom. Which means nothing missing, nothing broken. And then he has the nerve to look at them and say, what? How long am I going to have to deal with you perversionary? Did you? Jesus just call us a pervert. What is going on? See, Jesus had to call them perverts because they didn't have a right revelation of who he was. That's right. They had a perverted information on who he was. Wow. And Jesus looks at him and says, how long? Where is your faith? And I've come to find out by the response to the disciples what he was talking about when he was saying faith. The disciples said, who is this man that even the waves and the winds obey him? Can I give you the Oakland International Version? He said, who this be? I never, ever, ever see nobody talk to waves and winds like that. See, their response lets us know what Jesus was talking about. Jesus wasn't saying, where is your faith in my ability to do stuff? He was saying, where is your faith in me? See, God wants to move. Oh, I'm about to get happy right here. God wants to get you from a place of just believing for healing to a place of believing for the healer. See, you don't need deliverance. You need the deliverer. That's right. You, you don't need a breakthrough. You need the breaker. Amen. See, Jesus gets into a place of understanding. My whole purpose is so that you can get to know what the Father looks like. The Father is in me and I'm in the Father. I need you to get a right revelation. That's why the number one amount of miracles that Jesus did was always to the side. Because he knew if I could correct your vision, I could correct your thinking and change your spirit. But you've got to be able to see me rightly. This is why he said in First John, can I preach the scripture? In First John, he said, when you see me, you will be like me. He's not just talking about the end times. He's talking about your revelation of perception. 
perception. When you see me rightly, you'll see yourself. Because when you realize that your daddy is a king, you'll realize that you're a prince. Oh, I wish you could shout with me a little bit. Okay. I'm still on page one of my notes. We're going to make it through. Are you all right? I'll change that in a minute. He says, the truth shall set you free. They lie and say, we've never been in bondage. They're in denial. Stop calling denial faith. Acknowledge the truth, but accept and acknowledge the facts, but accept and believe the truth. And then he says, I'm the master. Listen, I have the ability, the right, the responsibility to set you free. Truth is not an idea. Truth is a person. And it's Jesus. We're trying to get Jesus revealed. It's kind of like this. I heard Chris Fallatin give a a, a mentor or an illustration. He said, when I was uh, a young pastor, Chris Fallatin is the associate pastor over there at Bethel. He said, when I was a younger pastor here at Bethel, he said, they used to make me pick up all the speakers. And he said, when I picked up all the speakers... And they would give me a list of their names, and they would put their picture next to it. And then they would circle which one. So if they're picking up a PB, they would say, uh, Pastor Benjamin Robinson, and circle them. He said, I'd take the paper, I'd get in my car and head to the airport, and I'd put that piece of paper on the seat next to me. And that paper was not Benjamin Robinson. It was just a picture to point me in his direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, the problem with the modern church is that we've gotten so theological that we've got a real obsessed in deifying the scriptures when this isn't what he's telling you to know. He's saying this is supposed to point you in the direction of who the truth is, and that's Jesus. Oh, this is going to make some of you mad right here because we think if we memorize 33 more scriptures than we did when we were in children's church, we'll be all right. But you've got a lot of demonic folks that know better scripture than you. You've got a guy out there prophesying when Jesus is coming back and can quote half the Bible better than you. And he still doesn't know the truth because information doesn't bring transformation. It's revelation. This is leading you to know who Jesus is. He is trying to get you a picture of the characteristics of God. He's trying to point you in his direction. Can I continue? So, so when we come, and, and that's just to set the foundation so that we understand how Paul is able to, wa- to not waver in circumstances. Paul had this keen ability to maintain joy in the midst of trial. Yeah, yeah. And, and Paul has been in many, Paul has been beat up, man. I mean, he's been messed up by the world. The church didn't like him. What do you do when the world don't like you and the church don't like you either? I mean, Paul, he finally gets saved. The world started hating him. And, and then the church said, oh, we don't, brother, listen, God bless you in your testimony, but we don't want you here. That's right. You just go to the church of the Frigidaire down the street. We'll be all right. And, and Paul, Paul, Paul understands her. Paul brings us to Philippians chapter 3, and he says, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward uh, to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the confusion I have, because Paul presents to us a Unitarian thought while giving us Trinitarian examples. He says, I have this one thing that I do to maintain my joy. And then he says... I'm going to give you three steps to how to do it. Now, I'm, I'm not Asian, so I'm not that great at math, but I've, I've got an understanding. Okay, that's email number one. Uh, I, I've got an understanding. If you tell me one, I'm not supposed to see three. If you tell me, go on the stage and look for the, the one mic that's up there. If I see three mics up there, I'm kind of confused. Paul paints to us, I believe, a prophetic picture of even the Trinity where he says, listen, I'm going to give you one way to maintain your joy. But if you don't have all three, you don't have one. Mm, 
Amen. See, that's why you can have the Father and the Son, but if you don't have the move of the Holy Spirit, you still don't have the fullness of God. Amen. Oh, I wish Amen. I was preaching to some smart people this morning. Listen, I tell you, you can have two, but if you don't have all three, you are missing out on the wholeness. Listen, I'm not that smart, so I broke it down like this. When I look at an egg, it's got the white shell, it's got the yolk in the middle, and then that nasty white stuff that I don't know the name of it. And we don't look at it and say there's three eggs. That's right. That's we right. say that, I mean, I eventually eat three eggs, but... <laughs> We look at it and nobody goes, look at that. It's, that's three eggs. That poor child. We look at that and we realize that it's one egg. It's the same thing with what Paul is getting ready to tell us. He's saying, I'm going to give you one instruction that I do to maintain my joy. But here's the instruction. Do you want the instruction? Yes, please. Okay, I'll just pass on giving it because you don't really want it. Sorry. Do you want to hear what Paul had to say? Here's what Paul said. He said, I do this one thing. He said, I forget those things which are behind me and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. But he doesn't stop there. He says, then I press to the mark of the Bible. This one thing I do, I forget, I reach, and then I press. See, you can forget and not reach and you'll still be missing out. You can be reaching and not forget, and you'll still be missing out. This one thing I do, I forget, I reach, and then I press. I'm going to preach so good this morning that you're going to think I stole this sermon from PB. I forget. Now, now as I begin to study the term forget, because here's the, here's the part I'm confused about. Paul says, the first thing he says I do, he says I forget. But if you jump a couple verses up from that very verse... He tells all of his business from the past. Wait a minute, brother Paul, talk to me. You just said, I've got to forget, but you just done told your real testimony. You know what I'm talking about. You got the testimony you do on Sunday morning, but then you got the real testimony you don't really share with nobody else. Oh, you don't know what I'm talking about? Okay. Um, Well, your neighbor has the real testimony that your wife don't find out till 10 years down the line until you're sure she goes stick with you. Like the real, the real deal testimony. You still don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, Paul said, Paul said, here's my testimony. I've been shipwrecked and pressed on every side. I've been boggled down. I've, I've been bit by snakes. It's like Peter couldn't get a breakthrough. It's like, I, I've gone through all kinds of stuff. And then Peter jumps into the real testimony. I used to even kill Christians. Now, you don't want to tell that to a bunch of people that you're trying to convert to Christianity. You know what the real testimony is? It's the testimony that makes everybody else uncomfortable. Oh, now you know what I'm talking about. Okay. You, you know, when, when I was young, um, some of you don't know my testimony without, because we don't have enough time to go into the, the real testimony. <laughs> but I, I mean, when I got real saved and delivered, you know what I'm talking about, real saved and delivered, because you get saved like 15 times, because the evangelists come and say, if you were to get hit by a bus today, would you go to heaven or hell? And you're five years old. You're like, I do. I just don't want to get hit by a bus. What do I got to do? <laughs> so you say the prayer. But then you get real good and saved. And Jesus even takes out the taste of sin. I mean, just takes out, devours the flesh inside of you. I remember I real good and saved. I mean, I got slain in the Holy Ghost. And it wasn't one of them fake ones where they push you over. But it was a real Holy Ghost. And I was on the floor for a couple hours. And I got up from that place. And I got so purified. I tell people when I share my testimony. I said, this is the point where I got real saved. Because the first time in my life. I felt like Jesus had come on the inside of me with a bucket of bleach and washed out everything with bleach and made me white as snow. See, what God does in delivering you is he doesn't necessarily set you free from the sin because some of you are saying, how can I declare that I'm free, but I'm still struggling with this sin? You're free because he's broken off the shame and guilt of sin, as it says in Ephesians. 
I'm preaching better than your amen and right now. And when I got good and saved, real saved, I mean, I would get up and I've got crazy testimony. If, you, if I told you everything that I did, you wouldn't even touch me. I mean, I got up and, and people, people come up to me right after and they said, uh, Brother Dell, how you doing, brother? I said, well, I had sex with over 200 people, was a prostitute, addicted to pornography, suicidal, um, and, and been molested for two years of my life. But, you know, God is good. Okay, I'm going to go get some donuts. Um, God bless you, brother. It's like the real testimony. See, Paul tells the real testimony, and then he says, you know what I've learned to do? Forget it. Forget it. See, Paul's not talking about the lack of memory. He's talking about the lack of obsession and care for the memory. See, some of you got little babies called memories. I mean, you take care of it. You take care of it better than you take care of yourself. Oh, look at what he did to me. He was such an idiot. I mean, broke my heart. Mama told me not to. And you sit there, and you devour the thought. Am I talking to anybody? It feels like I'm, I'm by myself. Paul, Paul wasn't saying the lack of memory is forgetting. He was saying you've got to deal with it. Look at your neighbor and say deal with it. Paul was telling the church of Philippi. He was saying you've got to learn how to deal with it. Let me tell you something. You've got two types of past. You've got the past that happened to you. And then you've got the past that you happened to. Amen. You don't know what I'm talking about? Okay, you got the past that you didn't have nothing to do with. You didn't get to pick your family and all the crazy folks in it. You didn't get to pick the fact that you were abused. You didn't get to pick the fact. But then you got the other past. You know, the one you didn't have to cuss her out, but you, you just did it by the grace of God. You, you know, you gave them holy sign language. You know, the past, the, the stuff that you messed yourself up. I mean, they didn't break your heart, but you just broke their. You know, okay, you know what I'm talking about. Look at your neighbor and say, you know what he's talking about. Listen, you've got two types of past. But Paul says no matter what your past is, no matter whether it's the past where I got hurt from the church and they told me that they were afraid of me being in their church or where there was the past that I happened to where I killed Christians. I've dealt with it. He was saying, I've dealt with it. You know how you can tell if you dealt with your past or not? Can you talk about it? Oh, my Lord. See, can... Can you tell people about it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, when you are able to tell people about your past, that's why Psalms 100. uh, Let me double check, make sure that's the right scripture because I don't want to get in trouble. Psalms 107 verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. See, it doesn't say let the redeemed of the Lord say some. I was at a a women's meeting uh, recently uh, because I was preaching for this women's group. Don't ask. Um, and then in one of the sessions, we were having a forum, and they lined off four of the guys up. And uh, they said, oh, can we ask you any question that we want to ask? I said, as long as I can give any answer I want to give. Amen, amen. And she said to me, because uh, they were a bunch of single women, which is a whole other story. Um, and they said to me, if you could give single women any kind of advice, what would you give them? I said, I've got two answers for you. One is the pastoral answer, and then the other one is the truth. I said, which one you want? He said, tell us the truth. I said, listen, you think you want the truth. You can't handle the truth. He said, tell us the truth. I said, okay. I said, the first thing you can do, shut up. Yeah, I knew you was going to leave me right there. Uh, I said, the problem with some of you is that you talk too much. I said, you'd rather be right than be in love. Come on, man. You got to help me out here. You, you leaving me all by myself right now. If you're married, just stay there and look like you're disappointed. 
Like, you don't know what I'm talking about. Baby, you always right. Always right. But you know what I'm talking about. And then I said, you know what the second piece of advice is? I'm going to get you back right here, lady. I, I said, the second piece of advice that I could give you is that I'm not your ex-boyfriend. I said, some of you keep treating your future relationships like your old relationships because you haven't dealt with it. And even though you're dating Jack, you still think he's hairy. Maybe this is too deep for a Sunday morning. You can tell when it starts really hitting home because people can't even say, man, you just say, ouch. It's like some of you have not dealt with your past and you're trying to move on. But see, your history has become your prophecy because it's undealt with. And until you change the past, and I'm not talking about your ability because we can't change what's happened to us, but we can definitely change our perception. See, this is why the gospel says to us that he works all things out for the good of those who love them. It's not that we won't persevere, but I came to tell somebody that your past mess, he'll turn into a message. Your past test, he'll turn into a testimony. You've got to begin to look at your past, not as the stuff you went through, but the stuff that you overcame. Some of you are looking at your past saying, man, I'm such a dirtbag. No, you got to say, I am more than an overcomer. I am who God says I am. I am the head and not the tail. I am the righteousness in Christ Jesus. Listen, I am not what I was. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because this is the major breaking point for your joy. You are not sober about your past. I'm not talking about living in your past. I'm talking about dealing with your past. Some of you are angry right now. Because of something somebody... And you don't hate the pastor, Benjamin. You hate your old pastor. I'm going to just preach to you all because I'm all by myself now. (laughs) You know why husbands beat their wives? Because somebody beat them. And every time they're beating their wife, they're not really beating their wife. They're beating the one that beat them. See, you've got to understand, friend, if you don't deal with your past, you'll never be able to deal with your future. Let me break it down this way because I got about five and a half minutes. Which means 30 in preacher minutes. Paul says to them, he says, you got to forget those things in the past. Can I tell you how we do it in the church? We think if we talk to God, tell him all about your troubles, he'll heal your faintest cry, and he'll answer by and by. It don't stop there. You know how I, don't, how I know it doesn't stop there? Because the Bible says, confess your sins to God, and he is just and faithful to forgive you of all of your sins. See, we don't have a forgiveness issue over the sins of our past. We have a healing issue over the sins of our past. Can I give you scripture? Please. James 1.5 says, confess your sins one to another that you might be, that you might be healed. Confess them to God, forgive it. Confess them to each other, heal. See, I was sitting in this meeting with the ladies and, and um, you know, I, I seem, I don't know what this is about, but I seem to make people uncomfortable. Um, and so I just say stuff and you ever say stuff and then go, come back. <laughs> so I, I do that. So I'm used to people being uncomfortable, but I was sharing with them this truth and this revelation. And I couldn't understand why the guy at the other end of the table was looking uncomfortable. Cause you know how Christians, we say stuff without saying stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So finally, somebody said, brother, you have something to say? Go, I don't got nothing to say. I mean, this brother seemed to have all the answers. I said, amen, and yes, and amen. He said, well, so, come on, say what you want to say, brother. He said, well, I need you to know I got some stuff in my past that ain't nobody going to know but me and God. Now, mind you, this brother had just talked about his relationship, current relationship with his girlfriend and how it wasn't satisfying, how they were bickering and arguing. And now he's telling us, giving us pastoral wisdom. Listen, I just got stuff in my past that I ain't going to never share with nobody. It's just going to stay between me and God. So I looked at him and I said, how's that working out for you? That's kind of what happened. You ever feel the air suck out of the room? And that was one of those things that said, you should have processed that first. Texted PB, asked him advice. And then maybe shared with him gently on the side. But it just came out. So I just took it as the leading of the Lord. And, and uh, the room grew silent. And I said to them, the body of Christ is completely forgiven. But we've got too much brokenness. Amen. We've got too much bitterness. We've got too much. And I'm not just talking about past relationships. I'm talking about past job failures. Mm. Picked a woman out of the crowd in one of my early uh, churches that I was in ministry in. And I said to her, I said, listen, we were having a revival. And I just uh, began to prophesy over her. I said, listen, the Lord shows me that you're supposed to start a business. You have an entrepreneur spirit. I said, but you've been discouraged because you tried it once in the past. But God says, you're not going to fail again. Now, the rest of her uh, uh, um, family is weeping. I mean, they're crying. But she's looking like. You know, she owes God a favor. Like, <laughs> Now, when you prophesy to people, I don't know if you've ever done this, but if people don't, like, cry or something, you start thinking you're a false prophet. <laughs> so, so what I do is I just close my eyes and say, if I'm going to be a false prophet, I'm going to do it real good. <laughs> so I just start prophesying. So I came up to her after, and I said, have you ever started a business? She said, yeah, well, I started a business. I said, okay, back up. Because <laughs> I still ain't all that saved sanctified but being sanctified um i said i said well what's this business uh that you start she said well i started a hamburger business and it didn't work i said that's because you didn't live next to me (laughs) she said you know my family keeps trying to get me to start another business but i refuse because i'm not gonna fail again i think it was einstein or, or 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 somebody who said this they said um i didn't fail a hundred times I just learned a hundred times how not to do something. See, our perception of everything changes our perception of ourselves. See, the children of Israel in Numbers chapter 13, when God said, go in and conquer the land, the problem was not their perception of God. It was the perception of what they saw that dictated who they were. See, some of you think that your opposition is greater than you. I came to tell you there is a God who's living on the inside of you that still is greater in you than he that's in the world. There's still a God who sits high and he looks low. And there's still a God that Psalm says that he laughs at his enemies. There's still a God who, I wish I could preach real good in a black church right now because they would feel me. But there still is a God who is Alpha and Omega. There's still a God who's beginning and end. Oh, you're getting a little better. There's still a God who's the joy of my salvation. And the tower of righteousness that the weak run in are strong. There's still a God who is who he says he is. And until we begin to believe that our God is bigger than the greater opposition, we'll never be able to deal with our past. And I know this is real deep on a Sunday morning. But some of you, the biggest revelation I could give you, let it go. Amen. Hallelujah. Stop crying over them. Get over it. Forgive them. 
You know how you could forgive them? Try praying for them. Amen. See, when I pray for my enemies, I just get so mad. Because I don't even want to pray for them. Not because I even hate them so much. I just know God's going to change my heart. I just, no, God, I just want to. Come on. Doesn't hate feel good sometimes? Am I the only one that, that thinks, I just don't like them. I don't want to like them. I don't pray. I'll sit in the church right next to them and not talk to them. Tell me to look at my neighbor. I'm going to look straight ahead and say it. I just, I would rather, I know I'm the only one in here being real, but you just don't know everything about me. Listen, there are some people that I just don't want to like. And can I tell you the truth? There's some people who don't want to like me. Don't say amen. Because sin feels good. Oh, man, I'm going to mess you up here. Because your whole life, you've been lying to people. Oh, God delivered me from a miserable life. You must have did it wrong. I had an amazing sin life. I was an incredible sinner. I mean, I was so good at sin that when when I got saved, the devil sent out a memo and said, boys, we have lost a good one today. I, I mean, I was good at sin. I got so good at sin, I didn't even have to try. Those things I didn't want to do, I did anyway. Oh, wretched man that I am. But I believe it was Ecclesiastes that said, sin is pleasurable for a season. See, one of the stupidest things. How do I say this nicely? Um, There was this, uh, you you guys remember Siegfried and Royd? Now, I love white people. I, I really love white people. But I just don't understand you sometimes. And I know you don't understand us. <laughs> but am I am I the only one who noticed that it was a tiger? I, I mean, I, I remember as a kid watching the report when the tiger bit the guy in the butt. I said, "Today he likes white meat." Uh, I said, "I said." Me and my grandmother were watching it. And, you know, old black people, they just, they say whatever they want. They say, we went through segregation. Leave me alone. Um, she looked at me. She said, I, don't, I just don't get these white folks. I said, what do you mean, Grandma? She said, am I the only? I can't use the word she used. But it's an African-American colloquialism that means uh, a brother. It starts with the N word. Uh, she said, am I the only blankety blank that sees that this is a tiger? I go, but grandma, they raised the tiger. They taught it to be nice. Well, it was a nice tiger for a while. But then it turned into a tiger. I said, you know what? You deep. I said, you deep, sister. That's deep right there. Because see, some of us, we raise sin thinking we can control it. Oh, See, we think that we can raise unforgiveness, that we can raise hatred, that we can raise bitterness, and we'll just make it through. You've been to 15 churches in the last three years. Baby, it's not the church. I don't have any money, but if I did, I'd throw it at my own self because I'm preaching so good. Five relationships, and you keep blaming it on them. I learned in third grade, if everybody's wrong, it's probably you. Let me just jump through this because my time is gone. I can sense it a long time ago. <laughs> I'm the, my last time preaching. He says, you've got to forget. You've got to deal with those issues. Deal with them. Some of you today need to just text them because they don't want you to call them. They don't like you either. And I know how that is. But sometimes you've got to harass them with love. Mm. 
You got to be as aggressive in loving them as Jesus was in loving you when you hated him. So you forgot about that part. You, okay. you, you thought you were saved, came out of the womb speaking in tongues. You know? There was a time you hated him. But he didn't let that stop him. Some of you need to go home. Just write a letter to yourself and forgive you. You've been holding a grudge against you. Some of you need to go back to your parents. Too deep for a Sunday morning. Mm. Some of you need to go back. As much as you love them, there's still that seed of bitterness. Mm. And you need to forgive. Because here's the thing if you don't forget those things which are behind, you'll never be able to reach for those things which are ahead. The next step that Paul says to us is reach. After he says forget, he says reach. Can I just have five more minutes and then we'll be out of here? I promise. Are you getting something this morning? If you're not, just lie and say amen anyway. It'd make me feel good. He said, he said, forget those things which are behind, but reach for those things which are ahead. Now, I had to look up this scripture in a couple translations because I thought Paul was saying, come on, reach for those things which are like far away. No, Paul was saying, reach for what's in front of you. See, you've got to forget your past, but you've got to do something in your present. Can I speak to the lazy spirit today? You don't need more faith. You need to stop being apathetic and lazy. Amen. I think something's wrong with my mic now, Daniel. Let me go back to preaching about the people that hate you and you hate. Listen, you, if you forget your past, but don't reach for what's ahead of you. Let me talk to you about Moses real quick. See, Moses understood this because he was delivering the people from Israel. Now, God sets him up in Exodus or excuse me, deliver him from Egypt. <laughs> Thank you for catching that. <laughs> he, he was delivering the children of Israel from themselves, which they needed. And then he was delivering from Egypt. And Moses began to look around because, listen, Moses had come from Egypt. And so he's dealing with his past. But now it's the next step. How do I deal with my current situation? You know what God says to him in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2? He says, Moses. Because he looks up to God and says, how am I going to deal with this, God? I don't have any authority. God says, Moses, what's that in your hand? What, what's that right in front of you? Who said, it's a staff. Now, if you've ever been anybody's boss, you just know a staff, the trouble. Moses looks at his staff and goes, it's a staff. And God says, Take what you have in front of you and let it go. Do you hear a theme right now? He says, throw it down. Now, Moses didn't call the pastor and say, Pastor, we need to get a council of elders together because the Lord's given me a word. And so I need confirmation, triple vision, a couple backflip prophecies. And are you hearing what I'm saying? Because that's what we do in the church. Because we don't have faith, we wrap it up with confirmation. Can I tell you how to spell faith? R I S K. Oh yes, indeed. Hallelujah. Somebody came to me, uh, Pastor Sunday, and said, uh, "Pastor Dell, can you pray for me to have more faith?" I said, um, "No." Amen. Thank you. He said, "Why not?" I said, "Well, can you pray for me to have a six pack?" They took a look. <laughs> And then understanding came. Amen. Hallelujah. I said, what you have forgotten to remember 
is that faith must be exercised. And you don't get more faith by praying for more faith. You get more faith by using what you got. See, some of you are looking around for your way of escape, thinking that it's in the next brother man. No, no, it ain't in brother man. It ain't in the future job. It's right in front of you. All you have to do is just let it go. All you have to, some of you are saying, God, I just want a healing anointing. But you don't pray for any sick people. Oh, yeah. Come on. Lord, make me a deliverer to the nations. And you can't even talk to your neighbor about Christ. I wonder before you go to the nations, can you go across the street? Before you pray for Ethiopia, can you pray for the cousin you don't like? Oh, can I talk to the parents? I got to say this real quick and then I'm going to let it go. Parent, let your kids go. I wish I had a room full of Korean people in here. today. See, for some of us who are parents, the staff in your hand is your kids. But because you refuse to let them go, refuse to let them make a couple mistakes, refuse to take risks. They're bound up in your hand. And so the natural never turns into the supernatural because you never release it to God. See, when you release what you have to the Lord, he'll make your natural push a super on it and turn it into the supernatural. Okay, I got to rush through this. Last point. Last point. Stick with me. Somebody play something romantical on the piano. Something, you know, Disney-like. Use that 80s electric piano that you always use. (laughs) That's an inside joke. (laughs) Can we delete this part on the podcast? (laughs) See, when I started preaching, uh, I started preaching my first sermon uh, when I was 13 years old. They told me I couldn't preach on the pulpit. So I said, okay, got a couple sandwiches, went downtown San Francisco and started preaching to homeless people. Mm. Grew my church from three crazy homeless people to about 70 crazy homeless people. And they would listen to me preach as long as they had a sandwich. And I mean, I had the police as my ushers and security. <laughs> I had the prostitutes as the altar workers and, and you know, catchers. Um, and we had an incredible time. Started preaching with 13. Nobody knew I could preach. And I knew I could preach. I mean, I've been preaching since I was nine. Praise the Lord. In my bedroom. Mm. With my teddy bears. <laughs> we have revival all day and all night. And the ones that didn't get slain in the spirit, I just pushed them over a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes you got to help the Lord out a little bit. Sometimes you just need to push up. That's oh, right there. That's perfect. <laughs> when I turned 14 years old, I asked my, my mentor at the time, I said, Apollo, we're going to drive to Napa, very wealthy and incredibly intelligent man. I said, I want to know what I'm called to do. I want to know my gifting. He said, you're selfish. I said, excuse me? I'm just trying to find out my gifting. And you want to go out and just be all like, you selfish and stuff. And I'm just trying to love God more. And you ain't got to be so mean about it. He said, you don't understand. Your gift will make room for you. Amen. He said, your place is not to seek out your gifting. It's to serve. Amen. See, some of us are sitting around going, I don't know what God's calling me to do. I know he's not calling you to do nothing. <laughs> Go feed a poor person. I don't have that much money. It takes a dollar fifty. I go to McDonald's all the time. I know the menu. You know what the problem is? The real problem is we make excuses for our lack of faith. Fourteen years old, I started going to the San Francisco rescue mission. I get tears when I think about it. Have aspirations to preach on platforms. I didn't know God would put me on platforms with my heroes and, and, and hook me and connect me with people that I only dreamed of. I started off 14 years old. 
because I wanted to just serve because my mentor said, you need to serve. And so I went into the San Francisco Rescue Mission and started cooking because a brother that likes to eat that doesn't have money learns how to cook. So I started cooking. And I mean, it was good, y'all. I'd take pork and wrap it with pork after stuffing it with pork. I'm so glad for that vision that Peter had. And I got so good that they asked me, can I take over the kitchen in the rescue mission? 14 years old, 15 years old by this time. And I get over to the rescue mission with all the homeless people, and I'm cooking the food, and everybody's loving it. And for a couple months, I'm just cooking. And one day, because if you keep pressing forward, yeah. God will give you your one day. Amen. One day, they looked at me, and they said, hey, Dell, everybody's gone. I was not even team A or B. I wasn't team C. I was like team G and a half. They said, hey, can you preach? I said, well, I haven't prepared. They said, well, you're Pentecostal. <laughs> so after you run out of stuff to say, just speak in tongues. I got up there and I began to preach. I don't even remember what I began to preach. But in a room about this size, homeless people, drug addicts, before I can make the altar call, begin coming up to the altar, pouring out their drug paraphernalia, stuff that I had never even seen in my life. They started pouring out, weeping. Pastor looked at me and said, We've never had a response like this. I said, Because you never had me preach. <laughs> and that's what they started sending me everywhere. Started, I, by the time I was 18, I had gone to preach in Guatemala with tens of thousands of people. Praise the Lord. Never even went to Bible college. Mm. Now I sit with leaders, have lunch with leaders that people dream of meeting. And people say, How did you learn how to do that? I just serve. Amen. See, some of us can pick up a microphone and preach, but we can't pick up a piece of paper. What's in your hand? Last step right here. He says, reach for those things which are ahead. Then he says, the last thing I do is I press. Paul, talk to me. What are you pressing for? See, Paul understood that the church of Philippi were so keen on their Roman citizenship. They loved the fact that they were Romans because to be Romans meant that you had rights. They couldn't do certain things to you. And so they were really proud. I mean, if you've not seen a proud American like you've seen a, a, a Philippian proud of their Roman culture. And Paul comes to them in Philippians and begins to preach in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, I got to tell you something about your citizenship. You're really citizens of heaven. Why is that so important? We don't have time to look at it. But Paul says to the church of Philippi- Philippians, Those people who have become obsessed with the earth, all they worry about is filling their belly. Mm. And they become rulers of the earth. Mm. He says, but I need you to know that you're not from this earth. I got good news for you, friend. This ain't it. I know we don't preach like this anymore, but there's coming a day where we'll meet him in the air and we'll have no more tears. He'll wipe them all away. There's coming a place where we'll walk through 12 gates of the city, the new Jerusalem, and they'll be dressed in pearls and we'll walk on streets paved with gold so clarified in the fire that they become clear. There'd be a place where Jesus said that we'd have a mansion up there. And if it wasn't so, see, some of us have gotten so caught up with paying the bills that we forgot that one glad morning when this life is over, we'll fly away. This ain't all that there is. One day we'll rule. 
one day will sit in eternity because that's how long it's going to take to get to know him and sit at Jesus' feet and be able to ask him about all the questions that we couldn't understand. One day, all the suffering that we're going through here that Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, are not to be compared with the latter glory. You know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying, baby, if you faint not, if you just hold on, if you just don't give up, you'll make it. See, the only people that lose in Christianity are the people that give up. See, he never promised. See, we don't preach like this anymore. And so we've got discouraged people who are wondering why all this affliction is coming on us. I'm telling you, baby, it's not the Lord. It's not the devil. It's just life. But one day, this life will soon be over. One day, this life will be over. And cancer won't be an issue. One day we're going to see the brothers and sisters of the faith who have gone before us and turned into the great cloud of witnesses and we'll begin to sit with them. And we'll be restored in our glorified bodies. And we'll see them face to face. See, here's the key to your pressing and your rejoicing. You've got to forget your past. You've got to forget where you've come from. Forget about all the junk that's tried to hold you back then don't stand still. Get to work. Don't let the enemy have the last word on your present condition. But the last thing you got to know is that we serve God. Oh, but there's coming a day, friend. Oh, maybe that's why the psalmist said in 103, Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And forget not all of his benefits. Who heals your diseases and forgives your iniquity and pulls you out of the the pit of despair. David was saying, sometimes you got to speak to yourself and say, this is the day of the Lord and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Listen, I may have gone through some stuff, but God is still God. I may have gone through a mess. Every head closed, every head bowed and every eye closed. See, God's going to begin to break off discouragement. God's going to begin to break off discouragement. Because church, we're going past the place of getting encouraged every week. Well, we're now going to become Barnabas. We're going to begin to encourage those who are around us. See, some of you this morning, you just got ambushed by the Lord. You had no idea that God was about to speak to you about where you came from, where you are, and where you're going. This morning, I want to tell you that God is able. Yeah, friend, I know you're going through. But he's able. I know you're going through, but he's able. Right now, here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to begin to think about your past and let everybody go. Just one by one. Just bring them up and you might have to whisper a prayer and say, Lord, I forgive them. I let them go. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. Just let them go. It might be somebody in this room that you haven't forgiven. You just need to let them go. It might be a pastor that hurt you. It might even be you. Just let them go. Just forgive, forgive them. Some of you are after the service are going to have to text people, write letters, make phone calls, bring a pie and just say, I'm sorry for holding it against you. 
Now, here's the next thing I want you to pray because we don't have much time to do this. I want you to say, Lord, what's in front of me? Show me what's in front of me. God, show me what I can do. No, you need to pray this thing out loud. You don't have to pray it loud, but maybe it's a whisper. You need to pray this thing out loud. God, show me what's in front of me. Show me what's in front of me. God, not the opposition, but the help. The children of Israel didn't have any tools to fight with. So God said, take up your farming tools, take up your rakes and your hoes and your shovels. And I'm going to make them tools for you to fight with. Because what's in front of you is what I'll use. I'll take your natural and make it super. And then here's the last encouragement. Some of you need to remind yourself this ain't it. Oh, one day, friend, we're going to sit with him. Oh, one day, friend, we'll have no more tears because he will have wiped them all away. One more day. Well, there's coming a day where we won't know discouragement, depression, oppression, or any other oppression. There's coming a day where we'll sit with the Father and we'll know him like he knows us. There's coming a day where we'll have a, we won't need a revelation because we'll have him in front of us. Jesus. God, I pray. Mm, there's somebody in here. You've been scared of the afterlife because you're not sure where you're going. You're not sure where you're going. You're not really that sure if you're saved. Maybe you accepted the Lord when you were a child, but you've been backsliding and you have been seeking after the Lord. Maybe you've never made the Lord Lord of your life. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into my heart and be my savior, be my master. You can own me. And so you haven't been secure. And that's why you deal with the fear of death because you don't know where you're going after this life. I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, if you want to make Jesus your Lord and be secure that where you're going is the afterlife with him in heaven for all of eternity, we're going to lead you in a prayer of salvation, and you're going to commit your life to the Lord. Listen, don't you let your fear hold you back. This is the most important thing you could do all service long. This is why you came to get your life right with God. You, you may even still go to church, but you're not right with God. I'm going to count to three. And if you need to ask Jesus to come into your heart, I need every believer praying. If you need to ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. I don't care if you're 12 or 25 or 55. One, two, three. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I need Daniel or some of the leaders to look. Nobody looking. Keep that hand up. Keep that hand up. Pastors, I need you to look around. Hmm. All right, here's the next step I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take a big leap of faith. We didn't have a chance to do this in the first service, but I'm going to ask you to do this here in the second service. On the count of three, those who lifted your hands and you said, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come down to the altar and meet our pastors. On the count of three, don't you let fear hold you back. This is the destination that you've been waiting for. One, two, three. Come, come, come out of that seat. Come out of that seat. Come on, come on, that's it. I need our pastors and leaders. Come on. Just come right here. Come on. I wish some Christians could give the Lord some praise for this right now. Come on. Come on. We need more pastors. Pastor Vern. Jesus. Jesus. Pastor Benjamin, if you could join me. Now, Pastor Sonny wanted me to make one more altar call so that we could do some time of ministry. But the time has gone long and we've gone overboard and we're going to release you. But there's some of you who cannot let go of your past. You've got no idea what you're doing right now. You're just stuck. You've got no vision for your future. You've got no idea where you're headed. And you need a touch from the Lord. 
you need a revival in your spirit. And some of you have forgotten and you've been discouraged because you forgot this ain't all there is. And you just need a touch from heaven. I came to tell you the toucher of heaven is here. I'm going to ask Pastor Benjamin to make the invitation for you to come. But don't you miss your opportunity for breakthrough. Here's what we're going to do. If you need a touch from heaven and you've lost your joy and you want to maintain your joy, you want to get your joy back. I'm not going to press you. We don't have time to cheerlead. I just want you to get up right from where you're at. Come down to this altar. Lift up your hands. Just begin to worship the Lord. And we're going to just minister to you and pray for you. You need an encouragement. You've been hurt in your past. You don't know what you're doing right now. And you have fear and anxiety about your future. If you're dealing with any of those issues, maybe all of those issues. God's going to press you through this morning. God, I pray as these ones come forward. God, that you would bring a special spirit of healing in this house, God. That we'll learn what Paul said. To rejoice in the Lord always. To never give up. To never throw in the towel. God, we're giving up on giving up. We're giving up on giving up. That's it. We're giving up on giving up. See, some of you have been dealing with sin issues. And you're saying, I feel like giving up. No, you're giving up on giving up. Some of you have been feeling tired, wounded, not knowing if you can make it. You're not giving up. Jesus. Some of you still need to come. Some of you still need to come. Listen, this is the day that God breaks off all discouragement. I don't care what it's from. Oh, Jesus. Some of you are living with anger and you're angry all the time. It's because you've got undealt with past. And you don't know why you can't stop being angry. It's because you need the Lord to show you how to forget. Some of you don't know where you're going. And it's because you need the Lord to teach you how to reach. That's it. The leaders are just going to begin to go around and begin to lay hands and pray. I'm going to officially dismiss this so we can go. But we're going to keep the ministry time open. If you want to sit there and worship in your seat, we're going to worship. But if you need to come to this altar and we see prayer, we're just going to lay hands. But I'm going to give you a benediction. Lord, we just bless every single person here this morning. God, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do such a work to teach us how to forget, how to reach, and how to press. And we bless you for it in Jesus' name. You're dismissed, but if you want to stay and worship, you can do that. If you want to come to the altar and receive prayer, we're going to be here as long as it takes for people to receive breakthrough. But you're formally dismissed.